Policy Matters, the RF and Microwave Update Series. I'm Pat Hindle, and I'm here with my guest co-host, Yasmeen King, General Manager of Aerospace and Defense at Analog Devices. Welcome back, Yasmeen. Thank you, Pat. It's really great to be back here. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at our February satellite and radio communications issue. It has a dual cover feature story. The first one covers dielectric resonator antennas from Rogers Corporation, and the other is a new approach to millimeter wave transceivers for 5G from ED2 Corporation. So the Rogers Corporation article discusses ultra-efficient wideband multi-layer dielectric resonator antennas and arrays, and this design is currently covering 8 to 12 gigahertz, but the technique could be used well up into the millimeter wave range, so it can give you wider bandwidth and higher efficiency than the patch antennas mostly used now. And ED2 article, it describes a polyrod dielectric waveguide antenna array, and that promises to reduce power consumption, design complexity, and cost, so it's a very interesting approach, kind of an old technology applied to the new. Yasmin, what caught your eye for articles? Well, there were two that stood out in particular. The first one was uh, characterization of RF and microwave measurement cables from Rosenberger. And the other that I really recommend to dig into further is the Iridium LEO satellite system for mobile and personal communications from Johannesburg University. Yeah, and speaking of LEO satellites, uh, that's kind of in your belly wig. Uh, what are you seeing in that market? I love talking about the LEO market. I find this one so interesting because it is a combination of two different pulls and pushes, one coming from the military market and then one coming from the commercial side. And yet, even though it's being driven by two different end applications, the, the trends and the drive are all converging in the same place. So what we see are that customers are continually getting pressured from a time development time standpoint. They need to move quickly, they need to respond fast, and they're always asking for what can they get into space as quickly as possible. So we're seeing there's a lot of investment in this market. Um, there's a lot of space payloads that are going to be launching through 2030, both in commercial and military applications. And it's around SATCOM, situational awareness, navigation, so a lot of different end applications here. Companies who really want to help customers in this market need to focus on speed and decreasing our customer's development time. This allows them to launch faster and get um, more upgrades to their satellites even more quickly. And our approach to this analog devices approach is that we try to create a set of standard commercial space qualifications that are targeted for the LEO market. It allows off-the-shelf, space-ready products to be used quickly, and we try to create development platforms that show things like bits to beams and how you do creative um, beam forming applications so that customers can use products right out of the box. From the military side, what we're seeing is that DARPA is really trying to help engage and tackle some tough issues. Specifically, when we look at one that's being worked on is standardization. So there, there is an active program now where DARPA's goal is to provide standards and hardware for space-based communications, specifically when we start talking about the inner satellite links, and that will enable interoperability. But overall, Pat, the market here is really strong. Companies are working tirelessly to capitalize on this, and there are so many new filings that we see, uh, see getting submitted with the FCC for MEO and LEO applications. So I think this is going to be one that we continue to talk about for many more years, and it's developing a lot of new exciting areas. Sounds like a great approach. So uh, turning to the news on the 5G front, Anoki Wave announced their fourth generation of high-efficiency multiband silicon-based ICs, and that's a new family that pushes levels of performance and cost 
to the point where network operators can start to accelerate builds for greener, lower cost, and smaller form factor millimeter wave radios for all the 3G PP FR2 bands. Uh, the first IC, they both cover the 24 to 30 gigahertz range, and the first one is a dual quad channel, dual polarization beamforming IC, and the other is a wideband IF up and down converter IC. And together, these two provide a complete signal chain for the N257, 258, and 261 frequency bands, as well as the 802.11 AC and AX. Also, Wilson Electronics announced the launch of its industry's first enterprise-grade 5G C-band repeater, which is compatible with Verizon and AT&T's mid-band 5G frequencies operating from 3.7 to 3.8 gigahertz. It can immediately amplify outdoor signals in the 5G C-band signal and rebroadcast them inside of buildings or for commercial use in industrial applications. And uh, speaking of this, uh, Verizon and AT&T did launch their 5G C-band on January 19th, as we kind of uh, alluded to earlier, and that caused a big stir with the FAA and the airlines, as these frequencies are near their, what is used for altimeters for landing in bad weather. Uh, so they started to shut everything down, but then they quickly tested some, and I think at this point about 90% of the altimeters have been cleared to fly okay in this uh, frequency band that's being used. And just if you don't know, it's 3.7 to 3.8 right now for 5G, and these altimeters work in the low 4 gigahertz range. So there's about a 200 megahertz guard band, but the uh, filtering on the altimeters is not that great that some of it can be affected by the 5G signals. So this is going to be an ongoing issue, though. Right now, the C-band goes up to 3.8 gigahertz, but they have additional spectrum up to 3.98 gigahertz, so that will reduce the guard band down to 20 megahertz. And so it's going to be something that's going to have to be looked after very closely. So Yasmin, what did you see on the A and D side for news? On the aerospace and defense side, we saw that Iridium recently awarded Collins Aerospace an Iridium Certus developmental over-the-air license, and that's for Collins' new active low-gain antenna and high-gain antenna. The license is the latest milestone in Collins' development of its new higher-bandwidth Iridium Certus airborne satellite communication solution. And then there were a couple of other items on hypersonic missiles. We saw the Navy unveiled its next-generation DDGX warship, and that it, that will include hypersonic missiles, high-energy laser weapons, and increased area radar for better sensitivity. At the same time, or around the same time, Lockheed Martin revealed plans to place hypersonic missiles aboard the Navy Zumwalt-class land attack destroyers. So hypersonic weapons is a very active area right now. So how are RF and microwave companies helping to combat the hypersonic missile threat? Well, there's a few different tactics that we're, we're taking here. And if I back up for a second and just talk about why hypersonics are at the forefront of everyone's minds right now, we had seen last summer that there was a confirmed China hypersonic test. That was in July. And then more recently, we saw a test from North Korea. And, and while both tests utilize missiles that fly at high speed, so this, this hypersonic speed range, um, and that requires quicker, newer defense systems, the China test especially was a warning because their weapon first orbited Earth before descending on the target. And so in response, there's been a lot of intensification around our drive to, de to develop and build hypersonic weapons defense systems. We saw that there was um, the Missile Defense Agency had budgeted about $135 million for research, development, testing, and evaluation for an interceptor, but appropriations for 2022 have not yet been set. So 
When we talk about hypersonic missiles, the first step is we have to detect the missile that's moving extremely fast. So one of the ways that we're looking at this is by utilizing a space network system, a space sensor network system. So all of the development that we're doing in LEO market actually helps us with our hypersonic defense um, systems. So we can have a, a network of sensors, they would communicate to the LEO satellites, and then that would help at least give us notice of when these hypersonic missiles have been deployed. One of the areas that we've been putting a lot of stress on at analog devices is to build advanced technology available in space grade. So for example, our 28 nanometer data converters, that's something that we've been putting a lot of focus to develop and make off the shelf and ready for commercial space applications. Radar technology is another important element of this sensor suite. And so specifically in that area, now we start talking about higher power ground-based radars that have better resolution. So that drives technology improvements in GAN power uh, around the amplifiers, high-speed digitization, and really pushing performance into higher frequencies. One area that we've been talking about a lot as well is how to now blend artificial intelligence into our defense mechanisms because when the hypersonic missiles, they're moving so fast that it's almost too fast for a human to respond. And that's where AI is really going to start to play a, a, a role in how we can defend. So all of these technology improvements, um, they'll aid in development of a, a full suite of a defense system. I'd say the biggest gap that we have right now is still the interceptor. We need that interceptor to be faster, more agile than the hypersonic missile itself. And so we're continuing to push the boundary of what's possible there in order to help develop this new system. So uh, turning to events, uh, next month will be Mobile World Congress Barcelona, and later in March is a satellite show. We'll be covering Mobile World Congress from a distance. Gary and I won't be attending, uh, but we'll be doing a newsletter and putting up some news and some good articles related to the 5G topics. We also have the satellite show in DC that we will be attending in person, so we hope to catch up with everybody there. We'd like to thank our sponsor today for this episode, RFMW, a premier pure play technical distributor of RF and microwave products. Remember that anyone in the industry can subscribe to the magazine for free at microwavejournal.com slash subscribe. Thanks for watching and see you next time on Frequency Matters.